Very quick review. We, this will be the fifth and the last of the messages on the book of Philippians, the letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. If you recall, he had a special relationship with this church. This church supported him in his ministry, gave him gifts of financial gifts during his ministry. And he's in the prison in Rome at the time he's writing this. And his theme of the message is rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, no matter what your circumstances. He's in prison writing this to this church. And the first week we talked about how he said to live is Christ and to die is gain. And sometimes we look at that as Christian fatalism where, Lord, this is so bad. Just take me home. Get me out of here. And that wasn't his point at all. His point was, was this. It is so exciting to be a Christian. Every day is an adventure with God. Just ask those of us that were in Colombia. Was that an adventure or what? Every day. Every day is an adventure with God. And that's what Paul's saying. No matter what's happening, it's an adventure. It doesn't work the way I think it's going to work. It doesn't happen the way I think it's going to work. Boy, to live as Christ and to die would be gain because I'm going to be in His presence forever. I don't know what I want to do. They're both so good. And that was his first point, that, that it's an adventure. And, and he had discovered the secret that God's desire is that He would indwell every single one of us by His Spirit. He wants to indwell man that we can go and do what He wants us to do. second message was on humility. Christ is our example. We are to be like Christ. Christ humbled himself. You know, meditate on this for a moment if you want, but you know, he had spent eternity in the presence of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And all the glory of heaven and all the glory and fellowship that he had, and he came to earth and humbled himself and took on the form of a man as a baby. His ministry it was up and down. You're the greatest thing there ever was, and then they want to kill you. Your greatest thing there ever was, and then they want to kill you. Your greatest thing there ever was, and then they kill you. Be like Christ. Humility. He came as God, took the form of a man, not just of a man, of a humble servant, and not just of a humble servant, but he walked to the cross and died. Humility. Humility. Be like Jesus. Third message was about working out your salvation, not working at your salvation. Working it out. Letting the out letting what God is doing inside of us, what He has done inside of us, manifest outwardly. You know, when we get the Holy Spirit, when we're born again and the Holy Spirit indwells us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's all there. All of it. All the love, all the joy, all the peace, all the gentleness, all the kindness, all the goodness. It's all there. It's just waiting to come out. And Paul's exhortation was, work it out. Do what's necessary. Release that. Crucify the flesh. Take every thought captive. And work out your salvation. Living moment to moment, because we're not going to be perfect, we're going to sin. And maybe you remember the illustration I used of living moment by moment. One moment at a time. Working out our salvation. Holding forth the word of life, is what Paul said. Holding forth the word of life. Let, let the word of life be in your words, let it be in your actions, let it be in the way you live. What an exhortation for all of us as Christians. And then last time I spoke two weeks ago, it was about having our confidence properly placed in Christ. In Christ. 
our human nature, that old nature, that fallen nature, when something happens, what's the first thing we do? We begin to rely on us, on me. What am I going to do? How do I get out of this? How do I fix this? I can, me, I, me, I, me, I. And our confidence is totally on the wrong thing instead of on God and who he is. As each one of these testimonies shared this morning, we, we go across the street and they see us. And by the third day, they were bringing family members, people who had been miraculously healed were bringing family members, grandsons, granddaughters, parents, children to get healed because they saw these gringos come across the street. The reality was we got nothing in our own strength. Nothing in our own flesh. I mean, every day, I don't know how it was for the rest of the team, but the mighty God, man of God I am, I'd walk across the street going, God, is it going to be here today? Or is it God? A little fear starts to creep in. A little anxiety. Shows you how much is in us. And God just does his thing. He just shows off. Manifests his power. Manifests his glory. Manifests his redemption. Our confidence in him. Paul's goal was, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to know Jesus in every way possible. I mean, he even said, I want to suffer like him. I want to die like him. I want to experience the way he died so I can be more like Jesus. Wow. Whatever it takes to know Jesus. And in chapter 3, one of the verses, it's, I guess it's probably the closest thing to a life verse I would have. It's in Philippians 3:13 and 14. It says, forget what lies behind reaching forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to quit looking backwards. Man, we all have a past. Some of our pasts are uglier than others, but they're all ugly when it comes to the holiness of God. We need to quit looking back. Quit looking back and letting the enemy use those things to to throw guilt on us and shame on us and condemnation on us, this sense of failure and unworthiness and rejection. They're all lies right out of the pit of hell. And every time we start looking back over our shoulder at that stuff, it opens the door for the enemy to torment us. God has a plan and a destiny. There isn't a single one of you in here that couldn't have been on that team to Columbia, and God could have used you exactly like He used us. You're all qualified, you're failures. Just like all of us. That's the qualification. We are so broken that we have to get down on our knees and say, God, if you're going to do anything, it's going to be you. It can't be me. I've got nothing. And man, we're all qualified. But we've got to forget what lies behind. And I mentioned two weeks ago, not only what lies behind and the bad, but sometimes we look back and think about all those good things and boy, wasn't I something? We've got to get rid of that too. It's, let's, let's just go forward. God has a calling on every one of our lives in here. Every single one of us has a destiny. I don't care what lies you've been told since you were a little kid. I don't care how bad your home was you grew up in. I don't ba- care how bad you screwed up when you were a teenager or a young adult. It doesn't matter. God has a destiny and a purpose and a calling on your life. We can use all those things as excuses as why we can't. Why we can't. Man, we even go as far as God can't possibly use me. It's just all lies. We have a destiny. We have a purpose. Every one of us. Every one of us. When we understand that our confidence is in Christ and let's press forward. And at the end of chapter 3, in verses 20 and 21, 
he, he gives a great motivating reminder. He closes that chapter with this, this. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power He has even to subject Himself, all things to Himself. If you read that, there's, there's three really significant things that Paul's saying. You know, all this stuff, all, we can have confidence in God. We can do all these things through Christ. We can do all these things. And let this motivate you. One, our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here on earth. Two, Jesus is coming back. And three, there's going to be a resurrection and we're going to join him in glory forever and ever with a new body. That ought to motivate you. That's a pretty good deal. What would you trade? What would, what, would, what, would, what would the world have to offer you to give all that up? I hope you said nothing. There's nothing. But we still live like there's stuff over here in the world. And we forget about all this other stuff. And Paul's saying that as a reminder as he goes into chapter 4. And right away in chapter 4 he says, Therefore, because of this, because of the fact that, that Jesus is coming back, because of the fact that, that the, our citizenship is in heaven, because of the fact that we are going to be raised and we're going to receive a glorified body, because of all that, what's he say? Stand firm. Stand firm. He's setting the stage for what's coming in chapter 4 about being content and at peace. And I tell you what, the world wants peace. And I'm not kind of talking about you know, lack of war. I'm talking about internal peace. The world wants peace. People are hurting. They're miserable. And sadly, too much of the church is hurting and miserable. We have no peace. We've got the market cornered on worry and anxiety and fear. I jokingly tell my mom when she starts to fret a little bit, yeah, mom, you're right. Why pray when we can worry? And that's the, that's the pot calling the kettle black. I'm like, oh, geez, okay, let's just pray. Paul's saying, we can have a peace. Stand firm, no matter what comes your way. And then he sticks a, a verse in here, that, two verses, that gets kind of personal. You can tell Paul knew the people in this church, and I want to just mention it quickly in passing, because I think there's an o- o- overreaching uh, meaning or lesson for us that, you know, we, if you look around, you probably don't get along with everybody in this room all the time. If we had a big congregational meeting, we were going to decide something. I'm guessing we'd get some disagreement. And Paul's saying here, and he's, he's got two ladies. And he says to them, I urge, I urge Yodia and Sutika, I urge you two ladies to live in harmony, to have the same mind in the Lord. He's so gentle in his rebuke. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have your name in the Bible? <laughs> Unless it's a little rebuke. But I'm glad it was gentle. And that's something we can learn from. It's gentle. He didn't take sides. He didn't tell one of them they were wrong, one of them they were right, or tell them to both shut up. He says, you know, guys, live in harmony. Keep your eyes on the greater picture. It really doesn't matter what color the carpet is in the church. It doesn't matter. But boy, oh boy, to some people, they can get their nose so out of shape that... 
And he's saying, ladies, come on. And he says, you know what? Help these two beloved sisters. They are co-workers in promoting the gospel. They have worked alongside of us. Help those two ladies get in unity. That's an attitude that really should permeate the church. Love, compassion. And then he, he goes on and he says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Always, in everything. Paul's just continually coming back to that theme. No matter what, rejoice. And then he goes into a section of scripture that I really want to focus on for a few minutes. Is It's kind of like unlocking inner peace. Do you know that there should be no one as at peace as a Christian? When someone says, boy, I'm worried about we go, what's worry? I'm so afraid, what's fear? Oh, I'm so anxious, what's anxiety? Now I realize every one of us know really well what all those things are. But as a Christian, we don't have to. Our culture is filled with it. We do not have to participate in that. And Paul is going to say, here's how we can avoid it. Here's what we can have instead of all that anxiety, worry, and fear. And he starts out in verse 6. And he says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you discovered that when you sit down and worry and fret about something, it all changes? It just gets better. Nothing good happens, does it? Nothing. But we are consumed with worry. We can be consumed with fear and consumed with anxiety. And as if that's the more worried I get, the the quicker it's going to go away. No, he's saying, don't be anxious for anything. In all things, prayer. You know, there's a picture of an older guy who's got this thing going on in his life and he, he prays. And another observer comes over and says, can you see this mess out here that's going on? Aren't you going to do something about it? And he goes, yeah, I did. No, you haven't done a thing about it. Look at it, it's still a mess. Do something. I did. I prayed. It's taken care of. I have peace. Because I have confidence properly placed in God. Be anxious for nothing. In everything by prayer. Now, prayer, remember this, prayer is a dialogue. It's talking and listening. Talking and listening. I mean, can you imagine if you're going to have a dialogue with your spouse or your children and all you do is talk and then you turn and run? Don't hear a thing. You know, your kids come up to you and say, Dad, could you help me with this? I don't know how to do this. Would you help? And then they turn and run. Okay. A lot of us pray to God that way. We sit down and we tell him everything we've got on our heart and what we want him to do and when he wants him to do it and then we turn around and run. Maybe we need to soak in his presence and listen. He's saying everything by prayer and then supplication. Asking. Asking him for it. It's like the blind Bartimaeus. What is it you want me to do for you? Why does God want us to ask? Does he not know what we need? Of course he knows what we need. He wants us to participate. He wants us to participate. And I think one of the reasons he wants us to participate, this is just Mike, but I think one of the reasons he wants us to participate is we then recognize when he does something. 
We, we're more aware of what he's doing. So often we go through our day-to-day -day life and we're oblivious to all the blessings and all the things God is doing in our life. Worry, worry, worry. They bring no positive change whatsoever. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> it's damaging to our physical health. You can read some of the, the <clears throat> books about health and worry. Contributes to heart disease, contributes to a weakened immune system, gastrointestinal disorders, migraines, ulcers, high blood pressure, etc., etc. All this worry and fretting and fear. It's not just physical, it's spiritual too. It holds us back spiritually. You know, when our mind is occupied on fear and worry and anxiety, it's not focused on the Lord. It's not focused on His revealed will to us. Our focus is gone. We have a tendency to slip into, I'm going to do it in my own strength. We, we really get off track in a hurry spiritually. You know, the world, you know, there's industry upon industry out there trying to give peace to people. You know, all the yoga in the world isn't going to do it. All the soft meditative music isn't going to do it. All the prescriptions in the world aren't going to do it. I could go on and on and on and on. Now, none of those things are necessarily horrible or bad or evil or anything like that, but anything they do is going to be so short-lived. But the peace of God is the only thing that can get us to that place of a divine peace in our life. Notice verse 7. And the peace of God, so he says, prayer, supplication, ask me, talk to me, spend time with me. And then he says this, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension or understanding, or the word literally means mind. A peace that you can't even understand will come upon you and it shall guard your heart, your emotions, and it shall guard your mind, your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Think about that for a second. When we do these things, he's making a promise to us that the peace of God will come like an armored guard to, to protect your emotions, protect your mind. There's a peace. It, it's a peace that makes no sense. I mean, when you run into that person who's in, the, in, in peace in the middle of turmoil, you probably do like I do and go, they're nuts. They are living in total denial. Why would I think that? Because that's not how I would respond at peace. It's a peace that you cannot understand beyond comprehension. This unexplainable peace sweeps over you. I, if, you, if you've experienced you know exactly what I mean. All hell can be breaking out against you. And this peace of God just comes. And you can't hardly understand it. You can't hardly believe it. And you certainly couldn't explain it to somebody. But you're just at peace. That's what God is talking about. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This peace that comes upon us. And then he gives a very practical explanation of how we can walk into that peace in the next verse. He says this. Think about these things. Meditate on these things. Dwell on these things. Consider these things. And then he makes a list. And as I read through the list, I want to... I wanna, as I made the list, I started looking at it. I said, golly, this almost sounds like it could be describing the character of Christ. He says, whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable, whatever things are right or just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovable and gracious, whatever things are of good repute, they're attractive, whatever things are of excellence, whatever things are worthy of praise, 
Think on these things. Paul's saying, you want to you have peace? Focus on these things. And I might even paraphrase it and say, you want to have peace? Focus on Jesus. Focus on Christ. Focus on who he is. Focus on what's inside of you by the Holy Spirit. All of those things are for us, Paul's saying. Focus on these things. And then Paul says, do it. He says in verse 9, all these things you have learned and received and heard and see in me, practice these things, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. It won't just be the God of the peace of God in you, it'll be the God of peace with you. It's almost relaxing talking about this kind of peace that's just all God when we allow it. And Paul goes on then and he uses himself as an example and he says, you know, I've learned to be content no matter what. And if you read it just quickly, you might almost think he's only referring to financial or material things because he says, I've learned to be content when I have a lot and I've had learned to be content when I have little. When I've had it and when I haven't. I've learned to be content. But Paul learned to be content when he was being beaten. beaten. He learned to be content when he was put in prison. He learned to be content when he was driven out of the cities. He learned to be content when the ship was wrecked. He learned to be content in all these situations, whether he had or he didn't. And then he comes to a powerful verse that sometimes gets misapplied. But it's, it's my, my son's life verse. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now I want you to realize that's not talking about being a super Christian. You know what? I don't think, I'm going out on a limb here limiting God, but I don't think I'm going to be able to fly in my own strength no matter what I try to do. I'm not super Christian. The context here is whatever your situation, your contentment, He will give you the strength. It's it's talking about Him fulfilling His will and His plan for your life. You know, when my son was born, he had, a, he had a stroke in uterus. Most of you know that. One-third of this lobe of his cerebellum has gone. Got way less brain than me, and he's still smarter than me. And the doctors kept telling us what he couldn't do, what he'd never be able to do. He isn't going to be able to do this. He isn't going to be able to do that. Finally, we said, tell the doctors to take a hike. We aren't coming back. My son believed that whatever God had in mind for his life, he could accomplish. And it's true for every one of us. Whatever your situation, Paul's saying, I've learned to be content no matter what mess we're in, no matter what's happening, I am content. Why? Because I trust God. My confidence is in Him. His plan in my life will be fulfilled. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I tell you what, whatever your limitations are, if God has a plan for you over here, He's going to give you the power to accomplish that plan. Whatever gift he has deposited in you, he's going to give you the power to operate in that gift. I mean, this goes so far beyond a motivational speaker. This is God making these promises to us. We can do all things. And that's what I want to encourage this morning as much as anything else. Your destiny, don't be stopped short. Don't let some voices that you've been listening to since you were a little child, maybe it's family members, it doesn't matter who it is. Maybe it was a school teacher, maybe it was a coach, maybe it's your spouse. Don't let them tell you 
what you aren't. Your destiny. Seek God. Discover your destiny. Ask Him for your purpose. He'll reveal these things to you and claim it. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. All things through Him. I want to go back to verses 6 and 7 one more time. To live in this divine peace, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall guard your heart, your emotions, and your minds, your thoughts, in Christ Jesus. You know, this is the kind of peace the world's looking for. This is the kind of peace we have to offer in Jesus Christ. But if we're not living in it, the world's going to look at you and me and say, whatever you're selling, I don't want. Because it's not working for you. We need to step back. Get in the presence of God. Speak to Him. Pray to Him. Pray with Him. Communicate with Him. Ask Him. Talk to Him. Allow the peace to just saturate your soul. And you'll be an evangelist whether you want to be or not. Because people are going to ask you, what have you got? Because I want it. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray and thank you that you have a Father's heart beyond what we can imagine, that you want nothing but the very best, the very best for all of your children. God, you have a, des- a destiny out there that will just fill us with joy, Fill us with purpose. God, I pray that each one of us see those things and recognize those voices and those, uh, those things in our past that are, are lies that are keeping us from going forward with you. Lord, I pray for the peace of God to guard our hearts and to guard our minds. Father, that it would be so much more than some kind of invocation that it would be a reality in our lives. God, I pray that your spirit would draw us to that place where we would come aside and apart from the things of the world and the busyness of our day to just spend time with you, to hear your voice, to just soak in your presence, that we would be so filled with your presence God, that wherever we went, we'd be sharing you with others. I pray, Lord, that you would watch over each one of us this week as we go our separate ways, guide and direct our paths. Your word says you will give us the words to share when the opportunities arise. And Lord, I pray that you would allow the love of Jesus to flow through us. Father, we ask these things that you'd receive all the glory and all the honor and your kingdom would be increased here on earth in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.